Welcome to Super Senpai Podcast, Super Turbo Edition, DLC-free since 1993. I'm Pat. And I'm Grant. And we are trying something new here, aren't we, buddy? Yeah, yeah we are. We're, we're, we're charting into to unknown territory, I suppose. So, if you're a Super Senpai Podcast listener already, you know we like to talk about tokusatsu, which I think we should be clear, we are still going to be talking about tokusatsu, but... We also like video games. We This is our, our, our horrifying admission that we are, in fact, gamers. How dare you? I'm, so, I'm sorry. How dare our... you? I asked you one thing to do. <laughs> I asked you one thing. Never call me a gamer. And you label, you lump me in with you. <laughs> the horrible, horrible group known as gamers. The most, the most depressed, <laughs> the most depressed group. We we are of that group. So this is this is our Ter- chance. I'm sorry, I was so bad. <laughs> we'll cut that. This is our chance to talk a little bit about video games. I mean, ultimately, we decided to keep it in the Super Senpai house because one, who doesn't love a super long acronym, right? SSPST. Mm-hmm. It's just like Street Fighter. Yeah, right. Like just like Street Fighter. <laughs> right. We're gonna keep patching it. And releasing new cabinets until we eventually get the balance right. But it's still just ultimately us talking, hanging out, being bros. So yeah, it doesn't need a whole new thing. And we'll, we'll explore the show as we go. I think we're going to just talk some games. But we'll explore and find kind of what we what we want to do with it as we go. So, you know, come come along on the journey with us, if you will. Let's, let's have some fun. Let's, let's <laughs> just... Let's just hang out. Come on, let's let's a little, yeah, little we're couch co op podcasting, right? <laughs> oh, that's lovely. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so gaming, the ultimate sin. How did you get started <laughs> on this criminal life of pushing buttons? Uh, my first love uh, was Sonic the Hedgehog. Good taste. Yeah, pops brought home a Sega Genesis one day, and after that, I was ruined forever. <laughs> I learned it from you, Dad. I learned it from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pops is a Pac-Man freak. We'll, we'll have to talk about that another time. Okay. It's wild just seeing him play. I, I wouldn't say he's like a pro or anything, but I think he knows his limits, and that's why he doesn't do a whole lot of gaming. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've seen I've seen some things. But yeah, Sonic <laughs> Sonic was the first thing. Like I remember, I think like a co-worker or somebody even like showed us how to do like the level select cheat where the screen gets all red if you press the right buttons at the home screen at the right time and stuff you hear a ring play and yeah i don't know that that sort of you know anything that showed up on the sega i wanted to look up other cheat codes of course you go online to look at this you end up at forums i ended up at game facts at some point the game i think it was like game sages or like it was some genesis cheat code site that i remember getting to okay (laughs) 
you know that that sort of fed itself because it's just like what other crazy things can you can you like just punch in some buttons and get you know beyond infinite lives right mm-hmm. like it's like sonic had like a debug mode where mm-hmm. you just spawn right. rings and tvs everywhere or whatever there's some crazy stuff that you could do in those that's now you know yeah sonic sonic was good stuff the the era of cheat codes and looking for yeah. cheats and so on what a what a time to be alive right <laughs> oh yeah exchanging playground rumors mm-hmm. finding out the mortal Kombat could he be even more violent you can turn the <laughs> yeah. blood on if you do this was it super nintendo that had the the no blood and the, the genesis had the blood mm-hmm. could you turn it on on the super nintendo like if you put the cheat code in or was it i don't know that that was the era of playground rumors so yeah I heard many many things that turned out to you know not be true <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> like early game magazine era mm-hmm. uncles that work at nintendo and yeah, so forth <laughs> yeah if you put the death of superman cartridge into sonic knuckles you could play <laughs> you could play as knuckles <laughs> super knuckles yeah i guess for myself my first love would have been the original nintendo entertainment system i have pretty vivid back-to-back memories of going to a friend's house. I had to have been four or five, right? When you're first getting, like, those early memories, it was a birthday party, and he had a Nintendo, and he got some other games. He was showing us Mario and Duck Hunt and stuff like that, and just being like, you know, my God, you know, colors moving on the screen, and you push the buttons, and they do the thing. And then my parents got me a Nintendo for Christmas. I distinctly remember that one of the things my mom did was make this little, like, kind of fake treasure hunt on Christmas morning and had to like go around the house and find all this stuff for it and that made it really magical and then of course I too was afflicted with the gamer disease <laughs> the gamer brain bro <laughs> the guy had the gamer brain from there on out and have been playing ever since oh the Christmas games those were I was trying to come up with a catchy phrase for it but basically you hype them up in your head you can barely sleep because you you might something might have showed up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it could have happened this could be the n64 year yeah nintendo 64 yeah the the birthday <laughs> present that's in a drawer somewhere but you better not you might know it's in there but oh you better not open it up or you're gonna <laughs> this, this happened <laughs> it was a vector i think it was vector man 2 or something like i found it and i knew it was in there and i think i confirmed it and i checked it and my mom could totally tell (laughs) oh the patience we did not have yeah right ain't that the truth i guess my gaming goes in really weird phases i almost always like i usually got to systems and got to platforms but i usually got there a little late like i would almost always like my parents would get me the system but like a year or two after it came out Mm. Mm -hmm. so you know and that was still an era when at least for myself going over to a lot of friends houses and stuff so i'd usually play games over there and figure out you know what games are fun or whatever and we play multiplayer stuff or what have you and then eventually when i got that system i had some idea of some of the games i could get or whatever so never really cutting edge but i still played quite a bit you know and then you had of course the the console wars right friends that had this friend has the genesis this friend has the playstation this friend has you know this that or whatever <laughs> knowing who who to hang out with to get to play yeah whatever game. if you think about it console wars is it it, it seems silly because really what you want is you want friends that don't have the same thing because then you get to get a different experience when you go over there right like it wasn't really a war if you were playing it smart like shouldn't you be covering your bases <laughs> well i think it's one of those things i mean of course every human beings are tribal but i i think it's one of those things where you just wanted to be certain that you made a good decision to the system you came home to right like <laughs> 
But yeah, I guess. So I, I that that's my that's my guess is is why people get so you know up in arms about it. But I, I want to say it was probably around the time that Pokemon came. Well, not even before that, really. At some point, they got me a a Sega Nomad, which is really a portable Genesis. Uh, I still have that thing. <laughs> the only way I can really use it is if if I plug in the battery pack <laughs> and then attach the battery pack to the back of the system. <laughs> I can play it as long as nothing touches the cartridge, because as soon as something touches the cartridge, it's over. Forget it. The game has crashed. <laughs> My mom ended up calling it like an electronic pacifier or something. <laughs> but I still, I mean, it's not wrong. I mean, <laughs> I definitely favored handhelds from there on out like going from that to the game boy when I, I finally had my own like original one for when pokemon came out i would say preferred handhelds like definitely like a solid console experience at the time because it's way before i even considered i thought all pc games were like edutainment games <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know i had no idea because all of the pc ones were all like edutainment stuff you know like the history or math or mm-hmm. typing games so I thought that's what it was. It wasn't until like way, way later that well, like Starcraft or something. I was way more aware of it. <laughs> like what 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 could live on the PC? I would say I'm almost the opposite, other than like I also I enjoyed handhelds, but I typically preferred the console experience, the longer games and stuff. And then PC gaming was often was something that like I, I probably didn't have an in home PC until maybe 99 or 2000 but again similar to the systems like my grandfather had a computer you know running windows 3 wow and basically if i could get a hold of shareware or freeware games he would let me play them on there in addition he had king's quest 4 i think which i could not like i kind of could play it but i was like seven and it's like a point and click adventure game and i'm like and it's like, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was neat. I thought it was really cool and immersive. But I got to this one thing with a pit and a minotaur that I simply could not figure out what to do. So I died every time. So I just <laughs> kind of gave up on that. But I played a lot of like the, you know, the shareware Doom, the shareware Wolfenstein, Minesweeper, any of that stuff. And then I remember my dad, he, he did like contractor stuff, but there was an office associated with his business. I don't really know what the, I don't really know what it was. He would have to go there to do stuff sometimes and I would be with him and he would say, you can go play games on the office computer while I handle this stuff. So that office computer had like one of those, you know, hundred games in one yeah. CD-ROMs or something. And it had Battle Chess. Oh. Which I thought was the coolest thing ever because the little pixel knights and stuff, I don't know. If, if you if those of you at home have never played battle chess it's like regular chess but whenever the pieces you know when you move a pawn to take a knight it doesn't just disappear they're like little pixelated people and they're like soldiers fighting and they all have unique death animations and stuff it's really really cool <laughs> yeah they, they obliterate they just destroy the other pieces on the board <laughs> You know what, now that you mentioned it, I, I totally forgot about those shareware discs. Like, I never, like, found full versions of them, or I never even thought about it. But it was always, like, a cousin, or, like, somebody had one right. that had, like, 50 games. Sometimes they were, like, the same game relabeled, or mm-hmm. other, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or, like... <laughs> you learn quick that it wasn't really 50 or 100 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and then it was always the share, like you said, the shareware version. So it's really only, like, the first two or three levels of it. Like... I know Duke Nukem, but not 3D. Like, I know his, like, platformer game, which was pretty cool. I remember, yeah, I remember them being tight, like Jazz Jackrabbit. Yeah, those are good little games. They're not bad. Yeah, just a bunch of small, and then weird ones I can never remember the names for. There was, like, a weird pinball game, but you'd, like, bounce off of people's faces. 
Like it's not not <laughs> not the space cadet pinball, but like a totally other thing. Oh, I I had a friend from from in my he and I were in first first grade together, and even though he moved schools afterwards, we stayed friends. And my mom worked over the summer, so I would often go over to his house. Like he was one, my mom would like rotate me around like, okay, your grandparents are going to watch you this day or your, your friend, whenever my friend's parents were like, yeah, he can come over today. I would get to go over and stay with him. And his older brother was, I don't know. He seemed super old to me at the time. I was like seven or eight. So he may have just been like 12, but he seemed really old to me at the time. And he had, they had a super Nintendo with a ton of games. They had an actual desktop computer with like full versions. Like his brother had doom. And of course, we were eight, so we were like, please show us Doom. <laughs> and <laughs> he showed us Doom, and he had, like, mods and stuff. So that was like, I had never, you know, I didn't have a PC and wouldn't for a long time, but that's when I learned about things like modding. And he had all the zombie men were Homer Simpsons with shotguns, and all the bulls were Barneys. And, you know, he had an, a level that was like the Aliens movie, which I knew was cool but had never seen, and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, like, I guess that was definitely the, the kid thing, right? And with arcades, too. It was, like, between handhelds or what your friends had or stuff you'd see or arcades it was always this like patchwork thing like gaming was there but also like i don't know there was there was a lot you just missed out on or like you knew was out there and just you couldn't access or find anything else about like <laughs> yeah yeah again could you get blood on the super nintendo mortal Kombat? to this day we don't know right? i'm never gonna look <laughs> there may not I'm have been a wiki <laughs> i'll never then. know yeah <laughs> unless somebody tells me in real life i'll never mystery. know <laughs> do not dm me i will ignore <laughs> i will block it ignore <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare oh, spoil no. that for me it was an interesting time but it, it's pretty great to see i don't know gaming's in such an interesting place now i mean in some ways it's you know with all the AAA stuff it's like super expensive and i want to look at like msrp and stuff and discuss that later because i remember hearing pretty recently that these genesis games were like 50 dollars or some crazy number yeah they're expensive and uh, i was like wait <laughs> like those ones those games that you could beat and like well that's not true some of them were really dang hard yeah i want to i want to i don't know how interesting that'll be but i do want to look talk about that because we're at that point again we're what like a new current gen next gen current gen game is going to be 60 70 dollars so i mean you're getting a lot out of it now but i mean you can get a 60 or 70 dollar game that has essentially infinite replay value or you know has 50 70 100 hours of like consistently engaging content at an incredibly high caliber of production unlike say you know <laughs> to the point where it's almost refreshing to play a game that i can finish in a couple hours now yeah there's a few of those there's a few of those that are pretty it's good just, it's a different world <laughs> i definitely took a long i wouldn't say a break i mean i'm always playing games in the background but i mean my intensity for digital gaming you know and, and, and technology gaming definitely waned for a while in college i've always been really into tabletop role-playing and stuff too and tabletop gaming that was a really really big part of it and i guess that's one of the things that definitely colors my experience sometimes i really enjoy systems i guess and like learning systems and understanding combat and mechanics and stuff so a really easy mark for me is just about any game that has sort of tabletop elements to it you know digital card games or board games or what have you or games that the you know that there's there's some kind of tabletop element there because it's really appealing to me and for a long time i stayed away from role-playing games at least digital ones for a long time because i enjoyed tabletop so much more and with a good group 
it's not always the case, but you can have a very rich tabletop experience that definitely engages your brain in a way that a lot of, I guess, sort of standard RPGs like on a, you know, a video game RPG kind of can't. It just doesn't, there's not that same level of like engagement and stuff. You just can't have that because of the interactivity. But like now, later in life, as time has gotten a bit more precious, it's harder and harder to get together. You know, in college, I could I could do two D&D groups in a week or three sessions or, you know, game all night or whatever. Now, kind of having to pull away from that somewhat, I've gone into a lot more RPGs and like really realized that I've missed quite a bit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but I still enjoy games that have the tabletop elements front and center or imitate them in some way. You know, you see things like I've been playing a lot of Slay the Spire recently, you know, which is really, really good stuff. Are you new to Slay the Spire? Or is that something you've picked up again or really recent? So you're pretty new to it. Past couple months. Wow. Yeah, pr- pretty new. I, I definitely don't have the thousands of hours some people have in it. Yeah. But, you know, like that game, it, it both can only, because of all the mechanics and the numbers going on, I guess that's a really good example. I really like Slay the Spire because clearly it simply could not function as a tabletop game there's too much now you say that but also i've been like refreshing this page that's supposed to be like a tabletop or like a card version of it like a physical game i don't know what's happening with it but i know that it exists i okay i will look this up let me look this up because i I don't want to get this wrong the last update was like january so i don't know what's happening with it but it is happening at some point okay well that's pretty exciting i will be really really surprised if it is a one-to-one translation (laughs) i can't imagine it's the same 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 thing but i'm new to slay the spire too i only played it like in january or february and i was loving it i was hot off of dicey dungeons really if you like slay the spire you might like dicey dungeons sort of similar in some regards but there's like six different classes or six different hero types and they have you get cards you can use them to based on your dice rolls and then the way each character works either they acquire the cards differently or they roll the dice really differently like for example the warrior or the hero that's sort of very typical roll the dice build your deck as you go along but then you have the thief all of the cards that the thief uh, uses have to be stolen from enemies every single card i think you get some that you just kind of can pick up but like the bulk of it is ones that you steal and then the robot maybe the card acquisition is closer to what the heroes is but instead of rolling dice you're doing like a you have like a blackjack mini game for your dice values i love it so much and so that's the thing that i guess really excites me when the when i say tabletop mechanics what I, i guess what i ultimately it doesn't have to be digital cards and digital dice necessarily like i would argue that say the new XCOM games enemy unknown and i mean i love the original too but the new breed of games the ones that have been out since like 2012 or whatever and XCOM 2 and and all that stuff i would argue that those are basically digital tabletop games in a sense because i guess the thing with tabletop is that you know when you're talking about dungeons and dragons or you're talking about a board game or something like say settlers of Catan or, or whatever ultimately human beings have to like the systems have to be understandable by human beings and have to be, you know, there's different levels of complexity, but ultimately a human being has to be able to keep it all in their head and run the processes. So the way that things are framed is usually going to be more understandable, right? The numbers are going to be a little more condensed and stuff like that. You're not going to have like, oh, you know, when your fighter rolls to hit, roll 17 D10 and do a 20% increase. You know, you're not going to have all that kind of stuff. It's going to be kind of reduced mm-hmm. in terms of mental stack complexity, I guess. And then on top of that, the mechanics have to be transparent parent you know in order for a human being to run a tabletop game every single system has to be 
communicate it to the players and the players of the game so they can run it, right? Like, otherwise, the game couldn't function because there's no computer to do it for you. So any game, again, like Slay the Spire, there's a lot of automated RNG stuff going on in the background, particularly in the randomization. But you could say, okay, this card does six damage. This is the third card I'm playing this turn. And I know that this thing will activate and double the damage. And I have three strengths. So that will, you know, like you can work out the interactions. Like you can be informed on the systems and therefore you can make informed decisions about the system. To me, that's really, really critical Like as a player. And it, it lends itself best to turn-based stuff, obviously. But, you know, I think a good example is I've played some of the uh, Total Warhammer games. I don't know if you've seen those. But the, you know, Total War is the whole you know, you've got the turn-based overworld map, but then you have, like, the real-time tactical, you know, army battle stuff. And obviously the Total Warhammer is like a, I wouldn't call it a skin, but like, I mean, it's obviously a new game from the ground up with a lot of important features, but ultimately it's like, okay, we're just taking the Warhammer Fantasy tabletop stuff and we're bringing it into a digital space. But unlike, say, the Warhammer Fantasy tabletop stuff, which is a, you know, those have game books and both players have to know the rules and, you know, you have to be able to say, okay, I need to roll this many dice and I need fours to hit and fives to wound and, like, you can kind of work out, oh, you know, if I'm paying seven points to get a Spearman, but for, you know, and he has these stats, and I know what all those stats do because I have to run the systems as a human being, but then I have my Halberdier guy who, oh, he's only six points, and yeah, maybe his armor is less, but his strength is better, and the strength is going to, on net, do more for me so i'm going to take more of these guys in this situation or whatever in the total warhammer stuff you have all a bunch of stats on the screen and it's like oh you know an armored halberdier costs another 700 gold per regiment and gets you know 20 more armor but the game never tells you like what does that mean like what does armor do like clearly the the computer is running some kind of calculations in the background but it's all opaque to the player so it's like okay i don't know if it's better to buy the improved guys because I don't know, or if it's better to just stay with the other ones, or even if, you know, like, is there a situation where, oh, it's better to, to buy these guys here and use them in this way, and or maybe it'd be better to buy just two regiments of the cheaper ones, or, you know, like, because you don't know the mechanics, you can't make informed decisions, so it's like, well, then, you know, it, it actually reduces my ability as a player to play the game, so, like, that's the kind of stuff, I guess, that gets to me, is when you, when the systems are opaque, mm. you don't know how to make good decisions. <laughs> You know, you can take an example, like I've been playing a lot of Dragon Quest lately, you know, okay, you get like all these like little seeds that give you permanent stat bumps, right? Like seed of life or seed of strength or seed of resilience. And it's like, oh, the seed of strength gives me three more strength. Well, do I give it to my guy that has 150 strength already and make it 153? Or do I give it to my person who only has like 50 strength and make it a 53? You, you dump all of the permanent buff items into characters that you're sure won't just die on you halfway through the story which is the hero or, yeah <laughs> so you make your hero the god hand right exactly <laughs> that's what i do but like that's that's the thing like this is a limited resource as a player and like the game is clearly communicating to me you're only going to get so many of these it's important use it wisely and then it's like okay so how does it work then and it's like eh, i'm not going to tell you that <laughs> it's like excuse me <laughs> well that's that's a bit of the joy of discovery right or like the the rusty sword of games which I love Rusty Swords. I think it's the coolest thing when you start off. Really, like when you, you get a, the Magikarp, right? You get something that is touted as like, hey, that's kind of useless. It's kind of worthless. Wink. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Later on, you know, you hang on to this stupid thing and maybe it'll become something like really amazing. So whenever, I guess whenever that kind of thing comes up, that's... That maybe you won't find that out the first time through, but that, that's, a, that's a different kind of problem now, isn't it? Like... 
something's coming out all the time you don't really get well i guess there's a difference to me between discovery and opaque like you can discover that magikarp becomes gyarados and becomes a really good pokemon that is great i love i also love that the problem is like could you sit down like if they showed you all the magikarp stats and all the gyarados stats and said here they are and like you're like okay how did the numbers work? Like, what does 100 attack mean? What does 250 special defense mean? Like, how, how does the game run those numbers? That's opaque. You know what I mean? Like, I think the, be- the, best, the best of both worlds would be to have hidden fun stuff. Like, Magikarp turns into Gyarados, and the game runs it all in the background for you. But the more informed you are, like, if you knew how the numbers worked, you could be even more informed on whether Gyarados even belongs on your team. You know what I mean? Like, how, how do I know that it's even worth toting around a Magikarp for 20 levels? or whatever he turns into Gyarados or whatever. Like, how do I know that that's a worthwhile choice for my team? And it doesn't have to be the best choice every time, but it would be nice to know, oh, well, Gyarados' stats look like this, so therefore he can fill this kind of role on my team, so I should invest in a Magikarp if I'm building this style of team. You know what I mean? This is more like optimization, right? Yeah, I guess. Because the, the, you know, this is not unique, but because of the way, like Pokemon, for example, there's a social structure, a social aspect to this where you're discussing with, kids on the playground people online whatever it ends up being and so maybe you didn't find it out but somebody else told you if you hang on to it or something like that that that's what makes that one special or maybe you're the one that found it out and you shared that with somebody else mm-hmm. right but that's yeah that is fun i don't remember if the games communicated that to you or everybody just knew that because of the tv show yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's there's, ask, there's so many different factors here that maybe that's not really not a good example maybe I, <laughs> I guess to me it is it's fun when i mean the great thing about video games is that they can do things that tabletop can't do right especially real-time gaming video games are great at but like for the turn-based stuff particularly and games that are often super long i do like being able to understand the mechanics like i you know i know bigger strength better than lower strength but you know does every pip really count in the calculation or you know that kind of stuff so it just would be nice to know and i really enjoy games that model that slay the spire dicey dungeons you know even hearthstone has a lot of rng but you can understand what's happening like a human being can sit down and say okay i see what the interactions are and i can at least predict you know even if a computer may be rolling some rng stuff in the background like i can quantify what's happening i remember it even shows you like turn order right and slay slay the spire like you know who's going first which enemy's gonna enemy intent they show you what which enemy is planning yeah, on actually attacking yeah. or doing some other crazy thing or if some mystery horrible thing is being is gonna happen you you might not know what it is the first time you encounter it but you're intended to play that a bunch of times and next time you'll be prepared for when this thing mutates into three things and you're like Ugh. right <laughs> and you can fundamentally understand like you know again a good example is like i don't think you have to have that for a game to be good or competitive i mean you know take an example like counter-strike you know one of the classic competitive fps games or even like fighting games and stuff right you're gonna know frame data you're gonna know this that whatever but like in the real-time match a lot of it is kind of instinct right that horse sense just like knowing zones and knowing ranges and going for stuff and knowing certain interactions but ultimately you're, you're still kind of not sure how each blow it's not a solvable puzzle necessarily but something like say slay the spire has a different level of skill or a different kind of skill where like you know you're like okay here's my options and if i you know in order in order to you know get to the end and do all this stuff you're gonna have to know how the game works and the game lets you know how it works have you so with slay the spire have you how many characters have you unlocked 
Oh, I've got four with all the unlocks. I don't know if that's all of them. Yeah, I think that's right. That should be. I loved how... Because after Dicey Dungeons, I got used to the idea of the thief differing from the, like the knight where uh, what the phrase I've seen is death by a thousand tiny cuts. And, uh, you know, apply, figuring out for each one of those characters is really fun figuring out what, what uh, I guess, like what principle or what sort of guide you could apply to each one of them. Because what was it? Was the ro- it was the robot, the knight, the thief, and then the monk, right? I think I loved playing as a monk so much. I love the stance changing stuff. Yeah, it, it's so I cleared the game with all all four. Really? Is it true ending? I forget what you call it, but I got all the way out. Yeah, and I forget exactly what it was. I think it was that like crazy thing because with the with the monk, it was if you go into like attack mode, you'll do double damage, but you also receive double damage. Yeah. So going into that state, like the, there's something really satisfying to me about going to the wrath state and just obliterating things before they could touch you. It felt so good. Yeah. <laughs> More than like orb management or I would say maybe it's like for me, it was like monk thief. And then knight and robot were kind of at the same level. Like it took me, I had a harder time with knight. Really? Yeah, which That's is so weird, right? Like it's the most straightforward one, but I was, I wanted the weird specific strategy. I probably had the reverse. Like I think first off, I love the way Slay the Spire combines a lot of really brilliant, you know, of course there's the basic kind of Dungeons and Dragons style classes are sort of thematic packages which are really good to communicate the player what you're supposed to be doing it combines dungeon crawling which is a very you know highly repetitive but fun kind of risk reward push your luck game of going deeper and deeper right and then the not only having a sort of incorporating some elements of say you know magic the gathering or hearthstone in a sense because it's it kind of has some of that veneer of a competitive game of a combative card game but it's ultimately a deck builder which are also games that i like a lot like i've played a lot of i don't know thousands of games of ascension and tons of dominion i played a, my wife and i play the dc deck builder like i really like deck builders too so combining all that and then the sort of tying the drafting to the encounters which i don't know if you've played a lot of competitive card games yourself but like you know magic and so forth like yeah constructed's a lot of fun but keeping up with constructive is really stressful and drafts are always really fun because drafts is like okay it's not just about the depth of your bank account right like we're all going to pitch in and buy a pack and rotate and like you have to kind of come up with something on the fly which you know you're going to sometimes come up with weird combinations you wouldn't in a constructed environment and some cards are better in draft than they are in constructed because you know in constructed you can guarantee certain Certain combinations but draft you can't so like the way slay the spire pulls all that in is really really smart yeah i think i would have played a lot more card games if i knew about draft early on like i just remember like my my clearest experience with like playing card games or trading card games was in like middle school and that was what you described where it's some rich kid had like the nice cards that just ended you in like two turns and it's like okay well that wasn't really fun <laughs> like it's over and so like i i had thought that like it wouldn't be fun if you just shuffled a bunch of these and just dealt them out and had to deal with it but then you know that kid doesn't want to do that because <laughs> why would they do that but yeah i guess that's what i wanted and that's what was served to me via dicey and, and slay the spire and if i can recommend have you played traditional like cardboard deck builders i've played a couple but not like um what's the what's the big one shoot probably dominion yeah we've played that one a lot yeah what you're getting the the victory points right yeah so that one have you played ascension no i haven't played ascension i've played one of those 
I think it was a DC thing. Okay. Yeah, the DC deck builder is pretty fun too. I like the DC deck. I like the the villain thing in the DC deck builder. I highly recommend if you want something that scratches a very similar itch to Slay the Spire, Ascension is really good. Ascension was one of the first deck builders after, because Dominion was 2008, I guess. Really, the idea of uh, created the tech of a deck builder. You know, drafting had existed, but the idea of like drafting in real time against your opponents as the primary mechanism, pretty sure Dominion created that. I don't know, or at least popularized it. I had never seen it before. And then Dominion came out. I was like, this is pretty fun. This is a really cool idea. Because, you know, traditionally. I see an app for this. Is this. Ascension? Yes. Ascension Chronicles of the Godslayer. Highly recommend it. That came out in maybe. It was a couple years after, 2011, 2012, maybe. Basically, a bunch of pro tour magic guys or. For, or semi-pro or what i'm you know i'm sure there's different levels to it but these guys were, were heavy into magic also like many magic players enjoy the various formats like draft and so on saw dominion and made a game that basically tries to exist in a somewhere in between dominion and magic the gathering the premise is like you're some kind of like hero and you're gathering up heroes and constructs and you have this center draft row and like all your cards either create runes or they create fighting power. Fighting power lets you defeat monsters out of the row and runes let you purchase either heroes or constructs or whatever from the center row and they go into your discard pile. And then as you purchase new cards, there's a big main deck of randomized cards in the set that will feed out into the main row as you buy them or defeat them or whatever. And of course, just like everything else, as soon as you know you play all your hands, throw everything into the discard, draw new cards. If you ever go to draw cards and don't have any, you shuffle a discard and it recycles all over again, right? So it mixes that Dominion style, kind of we're both drafting and trying to hit a certain victory point total, but it combines some magic elements. Like there's, he you know, you're trying to build, there's different themes, like there's Void Faction and the Mechanica Faction and the Enlightened Faction, and they all, certain cards play together in different ways and how the different, just like in Magic, the different sort of color identities, the way they interact with the board is very different and you're trying to kind of put together an, a, an engine right just like in slay the spire or something like that you're putting together this engine that works really well before you hit a certain victory point total and it's really really fun i have played i would say 2000 games of that would be lowballing it oh like, my god <laughs> I, I have been playing because the app has existed since like 2012 i want to say and oh, i still okay. i wouldn't say i play a game a day but i will just like at least once a week i'll sit down and just knock out like five or six games just you know and i used to play like heavy because you can play online with friends and stuff that really it scratches the same itch but you know slay the spire is obviously a more like you're probably going to play like an hour of that right and there are app versions for slay the spire too you know but, but ascension is more of a 15 to 30 minute experience uh, it's a it's an incredible bathroom game. <laughs> You're like, well, oh, sit down and play a quick game of Ascension. <laughs> You're standing in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just floating away on my throne. So I would recommend that if you enjoy Slay the Spire. And I think the base app is free now. All right. and all the, and you just pay for the expansions if memory serves. But that's in a similar space. And again, it is like literally a one-to-one -one interpretation of the card game. Like I've played the card game in real life and it's fun too, but it's really great having an app that just completely translate that. <laughs> but um, so sorry, I went on a really long tangent there about card games. <laughs> I, I could feel your passion about it. I didn't really want it. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. So what all? Have, what have you been playing lately? What about what about Vigimo games? What have you been playing lately? How about those video games? <laughs> yeah, how about how about video games? <laughs> Honestly, like a bunch of stuff is coming out all at once. I almost feel like I'm drowning in games. 
I remember this it would always be like a like a drought over summer of like new things because all the new things were coming out in fall but now summer has also got some stuff happening in it so it's eh, it's always something I say this like it's work like it's hard work but I'm just trying to enjoy it I would say the last two things that are present in my mind are one this just came out Lost Judgment the sequel to Judgment taking place in the uh yakuza universe what do we call this rgg (laughs) rgg cinematic universe (laughs) in a sense it's kind of cinematic but yeah so the sequel to to the first judgment but now you're um you're the main character from judgment in the town from yakuza 7 it's a feeling coming home for me because i'm new to this i only finished yakuza 0 very recently and then 7 is the one i was like i really want to play 7 i've had 0 that i need to finish let me get through 7 yeah coming back to coming back to Eugene Cho and just like now the main now the dude has a skateboard now he has a new fighting style that's like all about counter moves it's so so satisfying to play I'm obsessed with I'll take the extra time to inflict fear so that I can get like a I gotta send you a gif of it or something but like the the new style with the counter moves also has if you get somebody into a fear state you can I forget what it's called but like you know the heat attacks in uh, the Yakuza games they're called EX attacks in, in the Judgment series yeah, yeah yeah if you put somebody in a fear state there's like a cloud of purple on their head and they're kind of freaking out depending on your position or where on their or their position you'll do a kind of attack that looks like you're gonna hit them but then you don't but you're so imposing that they <laughs> end up passing out anyway <laughs> it's so so fun like okay so because i kept doing this accident before i understood it there's one if they're on the ground you hit triangle you'll do this like cool flip through the air and your foot lands on their face knocking them out right that's very you know that's a very heat attack thing but this version of it if they're on the ground and they're in the fear state when you do that instead your foot will land next to their face they'll be frozen in fear and then the main dude will reach down like pat them on the cheek and then they'll just fall asleep like they'll they're out it's great and there's like you know a bunch of those different ones so it's really 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 enjoying the combat and that and then the the mystery around it i don't really want to get into the specifics of but yeah it is it you are a detective former lawyer gone private eye you're getting involved in some crazy stuff i have to keep saying this because i've had this mistake other people have made talk is not a cop it's not a cop (laughs) attorneys are the opposite the cops are the enemy right lawyer like maybe you gotta throw a panty thief in jail because he's a freak (laughs) that's fine i don't care but you are not like he does dispense justice but on a different side of it a different angle yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then aside from that uh the big thing was toby fox just dropped deltarune chapter two and oh my goodness like video games i love video games like you come i came out of it games I put this on a tweet, but I need to say it because it felt specifically like the first area of chapter two felt like it was tuned to my heart. <laughs> like Really? Yeah. Like wow. I, I said something like, how do I feel the same energy from like Mega Man Battle Network, Tokusatsu and Sonic the Hedgehog all at the same time? Like I'm so like here right now. I'm so thank you, Toby Fox, for my life. You <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate very much like revisiting or kind of looking back at, at, at undertale i love so much how deltarune evolved the gameplay of it there's some arguments as to whether or not like actually playing undertale is fun i think it is but definitely deltarune made it way more fun managing multiple party members while you're doing this in the short form rpg in this environment that is so full of joy like it's so delightful i can't wait until whenever the next drop is out like 
who knows when it'll be but i'm I'm ready for it it's interesting that you say that like that argument because like undertale has a lot of people who who really really enjoy it and it's interesting that there's an argument over whether it's even fun to play or basically just to experience right and like games do they can be just an experience sometimes but then they can also be fun to play and it's really great when it's both a sign for me of a good rpg you know you can say something about hack and slash if i don't if the combat's really fun and that's all it is, that's and I accept that. That's what it is. But if I really want to call something a good RPG, it's one where I want to talk to all of the NPCs. I want to look at all of the like the flavor text because it's gonna make me laugh or smile or something. And both of these Undertale and Deltarune like succeed in that. And I look forward to like when either somebody's new to it, then I can see that happen in real time, or you know, some whatever gets a chuckle out of you. It does barrage you with something like that. There, there's um, I feel like there's sort of the meme perception of these games because it's so there's you know there's a lot of openings there's a lot of things that people can mutate into different you know funny or weird things you you could paint over a character with a deltarune or undertale skin and it's instantly funny just because it's sort of relatable or just really weird but it works in a horrible way like people were slapping this character from chapter two over a character from batman beyond and it was like what what a, what a callback what a weird throwback but it it's perfect it works so well and you could definitely see the character saying these really stupid awful things <laughs> it's incredible but yeah definitely that like because the last thing you want is in an rpg or something like that is you drop somebody into this world and they don't want to interact with it you know like they don't want to know more they don't want to look at who's living in this world mm, that you've created right. just want to skip all the text and just do all the I guess MMOs have to play that game where it has to both be like, you know, an interactive theme park type thing, right? Like it has to be, it has to appear to be a rich world, but also just support like endless raiding and instances and stuff like that. And sometimes those are the same players, but you know, not always. (laughs) I would say I'm kind of averse to getting pulled into an MMO. Like the last one I was really into and it wasn't even, I was barely paying attention to the story. It's like back in middle school playing Ragnarok online, like... How do I get more levels and how do I do these cool things? But I wasn't even paying attention to whatever story they were trying to tell me with it. I yeah, I couldn't tell you. Did they ever rock that Ragna? Do you know? I convinced my mom to send in some money for a subscription for three month subscription, and I got grounded like two weeks into it. <laughs> so and that was like at the start of summer. Oh, so no. and it was you know it was my bad. I lied that I was going to bed, and she burst into my room at two in the morning when I was. Trying to find a silver chonchon in the, <laughs> in the desert, and it wasn't worth it. it. Was not worth it. Did you ever get that silver chonchon eventually? I I feel like I found a better solution because I think it had I forget what it did. It it had some skill that wasn't the class I was playing as didn't have. But later on, I was playing on like private servers and just it was really just an excuse to hang out with people online and like beat up some cool monsters like yeah it's funny you say that because like usually a lot of my formative multiplayer experiences were not mmos but usually like online like first person shooters and stuff like that like getting together with friends and in an unreal tournament server and having a bunch of goofy skins and mutations or playing csgo well not csgo it would have been like 1.6 and stuff but you know playing counter-strike together playing online games of like medal of honor allied assault and stuff like that and like it's just it's really funny to think that you know like god i've played i've played a fair amount of call of duty too and i don't even like call of duty (laughs) but it's because that's what my friends were playing so i was like all right i'll play with you you know i don't like the sort of frantic pace of call of duty i don't like being called racial slurs by 11 year olds but my friends were playing so (laughs) 
know yeah, and, and we we talked about this before, but I missed out on a lot of first person, not just first person shooter, but first person game experiences because I get I have the unfortunate constitution of getting motion sickness or 3D sick from first person games. So, which, you know, only recently I have discovered that in in certain situations or certain screen formats, it could be fine. For example, with playing games on the Switch, any first-person shooter like that shows up on there seems like I can play it without any issues. Really? I'm really hoping that when that Steam Deck comes out next year, that I have suddenly have access to a lot more than I did before. Like... Well, when that happens, I will have so many recommendations for you because I have played a lot of first-person shooters. Actually, we'll talk about one that is on the Switch. So I have been playing a lot of slow burn RPGs. I've been playing Dragon Quest all the way through. I'm on Dragon Quest 7 right now. I wouldn't really say I'm having a lot of fun with Dragon Quest 7. This is probably probably a pretty low point for the series. It's like Really? That bad? <sighs> this is yeah, this is the three the DS version, which is the improved version. I'm like 80 hours in. Wow. And, uh, whew, it's it's a it's not much game for how long it is. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Even though I've really enjoyed pretty much all the other Dragon Quests I've played so far, one through six. Two was a little rough in places, but Dragon Quest is a whole other topic. In terms of what I've been playing other than that, I've really been back on a FPS kick and particularly a lot of retro FPS style games here lately. We'll talk a bit of first person shooter mechanics. So like obviously back in the day, Doom, I mean, Wolfenstein came out first, but really Doom was the explosive hit and the one that really set the mold for a long time, and obviously Quake as its sort of inheritor. But that Doom and Quake era, and there were a lot of other games in that space too, but the sort of arena shooter type era, Unreal and Unreal Tournament and all that stuff was in that space too, where those were single-player games, but they also had a multiplayer component was really fast, really frantic, and usually involved either lots of mods or like a high level of skill and map control. You know, your characters didn't have a lot of, like, mechanics. Like, you, your guy just ran around and you tried to pick up the best weapons. You tried to pick up the armor. You, you know, you had to know the maps. And it was about controlling space. Quake 3 is like, I don't know if you've ever seen high-level Quake play, like Quake 3 or Quake Arena and stuff like that, but like, it's basically a martial art. I don't know how else to put it. Like, the map control, like, it is 100% about control of your character and the map. And then, you know, Half-Life was a pretty big transition that was, I guess, what, 96, 97, I don't know. But Half-Life was one of the first games that really had a lot of story. If you've ever played, I mean, I guess you haven't. Half-Life 1 is basically a really long movie that you never have any cutscenes for. Everything's first person. You have voice acting, you have all this stuff. And then with the rise of console gaming, particularly consoles are not super great for shooters for a long time, but then you had things like Halo. You know, Halo really opened the floodgates because, you know, the classic first person shooter was designed around a keyboard. So you'd have like 10 weapons and switch between them with the number keys, right? And aiming is obviously easy your Doom used arrows and stuff, but eventually aiming was much easier with a mouse. But then Halo comes out and it has only two weapons that you switch between and melee is its own button and grenades are their own button and you have the recharging shields and it kind of takes the banner and then you have... It's also a much slower game. Like Halo is compared to something like say quake or doom or whatever like much much slower the characters move slower you have the regenerating health so you can kind of bounce in and out of cover and stuff like that it's still a fast-paced arena shooter but it's more sluggish and then you have things like you know gears of war or whatever that's got like the cover mechanics and then call of duty brings in stuff like all the talents and gear and selection and all that that's a whole other different kind of thing where it's slower games regenerating health character talents and all that kind of stuff and then the, the single player elements have a lot of you know some of those cod games and stuff have all these 
you have these really long cut sequences and there's a story you're playing and all that kind of stuff. But when Doom 2016 came out, there was kind of a pendulum has swung back now to a sort of a more classic style of FPS in a big way. And you have a lot of game companies that are making modern games in the vein of the old shooters, but not in like a tongue in cheek, like, whoa, classic game. Like they're genuinely making really strong games that pretty much could have made on the old hardware, relatively speaking, but are in that vein, like 100% wholeheartedly, not in like a, you know, cheesy throwback kind of way, I guess. Things like Dusk and a mid evil and all that kind of stuff so i have been playing a bit of ion fury ion fury is it's on the switch you can play it if you'd like it is a modern build engine game you know you mentioned duke nukem earlier duke nukem 3d was built on the build engine 3d realms their their hardware and stuff quite a few first person shooters came out under that stuff like shadow warrior and blood and all that which at the time it seems silly to say now but you know when doom was your primary competition and quake too to some degree like those games are they're really good like they're incredibly tight like the level design is great enemy design is great weapons feel terrific but the environments are kind of bland quake and doom are you know you're in like a empty space station full of elevators and exploding barrels and then quake is like you're full you're in like a evil castle that has spikes and stuff i guess like the, the worlds are pretty barren the whole thing with it like duke nukem had like a main character who had some personality he had all these you know action movie one-liners and you could interact with the environment like i remember the first time playing duke nukem it's like there was a bathroom you were in like a real building they would have a bathroom you'd open a door you're like oh my god and you could walk in front of the mirror and see your character and of course he's you know he's a pixelated <laughs> he's, he's not like a it's not photorealistic but it's like oh my gosh that's me you could open the bathroom door and break the toilet and drink out of the water from the toilet to get health back and it was like Ah, interactive environments, you know. <laughs> but Ion Fury is a modern game made using the build engine. I think one of the first in like, I don't know, 20 years or something like that, probably. Now it's a little bit upgunned. Like they can really get some distance out of the build engine. You could never have done, you know, 20 years ago, but it's a, it is quite literally a modern game built on kind of the old system. And it's really good. It's a very fun game and it very much evokes the sort of classic vibe. It's a little more kind of tongue in cheek referential. But it, it's good. It's just that the I guess the problem is that like the game is really, really long. It does kind of overstay its welcome a little bit because there's one of the things that for a first person shooter, like, you know, think about like, okay, Sonic versus Mario, right? They're both platformers. If you didn't know, you're like, oh, these are just the same character, right? They're clearly not. Like they have, they feel different even in the platformer space through their, you know, their different little mechanics or what have you. So a lot of these retro FPSs, the way you could really tell them apart was their weapon selection. And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems with Ion Fury is that like, even though it's built on the same engine as like Duke and, and Blood and all that, which, you know, Duke had like the most ridiculous weapon selection. He had triple-barreled machine guns. He had a, a freeze ray where you could freeze enemies and then kick them and they shattered. Or he had the shrink ray where you could shrink them down and step on them. Or, you know, he had all these kind of outrageous weapons that were really fun and funny to use. Ion Fury's weapons were a little basic. It's like, oh, I've got a pistol. I've got a machine gun. You know, I've got, like, the SMGs. I've got a shotgun. I've got a grenade launcher. And then you have... Enemies take a lot of firepower to kill. I mean, I'm playing on the hardest setting, but enemies take a lot of firepower to kill. Some of the weapons feel really similar, and they chew through ammunition really, really fast. It's a build engine game, so, you know, after every fight, it's not, you have to explore a little bit, you kick open some trash cans, you break some windows, you, you know, you restock on all your items. But um, at least on the highest difficulty settings, like, it never quite feels like you have enough of an ammo cap to really, you can't just go in and, like, really 
get into an action scene. Like you have to play really, really carefully and really kind of count your bullets and really like make sure you're using them. And like, so you can, you, you know, you can progress through the game. Like I've, I've played through the majority of the game and it's not like it's not beatable. It's just that a lot of the weapons feel really similar. You have to be really, really careful with how you approach encounters. You can't really just jump in and fire. Like you can't afford to miss sometimes, which feels weird in kind of an action game. And so really similar enemies, really similar weapons. You have to be like really cautious it does start to drag near the end. I think is the problem. Wow, you're really you're really selling me on this. <laughs> no, it's you. I think on the normal difficulty setting, it would be like I'm playing on the highest difficulty setting because like I was baked in the sauce, right? Like, and on the highest difficulty setting, enemies drop less ammo, they deal more damage, they take more hits to kill. So like I'm playing on the highest level. But if you want a a game that looks gorgeous but pretty much feels like those classic games, like I think on normal or something, it would you would not experience that same level of stuff that I'm feeling. But like you can see like like the kind of the fun and the joy of classic shooters because they don't I guess the modern shooters especially when you have regenerating health like re the regenerating health thing means that they can kind of throw an unlimited amount at you but they give you enough kind of cover and stuff to navigate around it and like that's the game right like I fight a little bit and pull back fight a little bit pull back right like that's kind of the game with the regenerating health stuff but with these games it's more about of a resource management they're usually going to give you enough to top off every one to three fights I guess like Slave the Spire, right? Like you're going to hit a rest site every couple of fights, right? Every couple of encounters. Like they're going to give you enough resources to beat the level. You just have to figure out, okay, can I come out of this without expending too many of my resources? And can I figure out the best way to do it and all that kind of stuff? But it's it's really, really fun and engaging. That would be a game that you could play. I think the Switch even has Quake too. You definitely should try out Quake. Quake is a classic short game, but it, it I just replayed it recently. It's still really, really good. And it's amazing how much of those games atmosphere there is even when you don't have a whole lot to go on there's really there's really no story to sink your teeth into it's not really a bad thing it's a, that means it's just to the point like you just really get into it right yeah and it makes for really good you know it's usually broken up into episodes like the levels like it's like you know the classic model is three to four episodes with five to ten levels per episode so it's really easy to sit down play a level every night takes you 15 minutes maybe play another one if you want or play another one tomorrow and in a week or two you're done like it, you just sit down and just kind of knock out a level or two it's a really satisfying way to get that condensed gaming and you realize like i don't think it's that you don't need the experience like i there are a lot of really great role-playing games and for even first person shooters that have terrific like all the voices and the cinematics all that stuff is great like i love it too i, I love the experience of the, it's almost like going to the movies right but you also realize like if a game is well designed you don't have to have all that stuff and it's actually pretty liberating to never have to deal with a cutscene. you just get it and you play like you don't have to go oh god you know gotta go through another tutorial and learn another mechanic like there's no new mechanics to learn really it's like here's a new gun it kills people in a different way. You'll discover that, but just you just get in and go. And it's, man, it's, a, it's really satisfying. Those games have held up surprisingly well. But if you'll also allow me, the other thing, I literally just beat it before we got on here on the call. A new FPS came out called Severed Steel. This is a first-person shooter. You're like some cyborg lady who's been done wrong by some evil corporation, right? You're common writer, but you've got like a, a Metroid arm, the blaster arm. The big thing is it's, an, it's a first-person shooter that has kind of action movie style mechanics. You can double jump, dive, crouch, slide, all that kind of stuff. And you can like wall run. You can do all kinds of wild stuff. And you can also hold down the right click to get bullet time. Have you played Max Payne or any games like that? No, I, I'm familiar with the idea though. But... Okay. 
so this is not the first game to do bullet time, right? Like it's definitely that's that's the thing. It's not even the first first person shooter to do bullet time. But the interesting thing with this game is that like I would say that most of these sort of bullet time style games, if we want to call them that, Max Payne's a good example. Like in an average Max Payne fight, you could pretty much just play it like a regular third person action game. Like, you don't have to have the bullet time. It just helps a lot. And usually it's on... And now certain fights, like, you know, there are, of course, like, ridiculous fights where, like, without the bullet time, you would just get destroyed. But most of the average fights in that game, you can fight without the bullet time. You don't have to have it every single second. And in fact, it's usually, like, on some kind of meter, right? Like, you use it up, and then it'll start to refill. The game is, how much bullet time do I use? I have to hang in there while it recharges, that kind of thing. So the interesting thing about Severed Steel, it has this, like, really... Unlike something like, say, Max Payne, which I'm I'm just kind of overgeneralizing, but, you know, Max Payne is like, okay, I can maybe win 60% of the fights of my average fights if I don't have bullet time on an average fight. It's like, I'm definitely going to win with bullet time. I just have to manage it right. And you can take a couple of hits and there's health and all that kind of stuff. Severed Steel is really interesting because, like, the enemies are ruthless and you only have a couple of hits you can take. You really cannot just fight them normally maybe just one of them but like the game is just i mean they're enemies everywhere if you encounter like two or three guys in the hallway they're just going to gun you down but the interesting mechanical element here is that like and they're like really good shots like they, they pretty much don't miss and they fire constantly and never reload and on top of that you can only have one weapon at a time they have pretty limited ammo supply like usually one clip or something and you cannot reload them like you'll fire it you empty the clip and then you can throw it and that's it and you have like a little kick that you can knock people over so you don't have much But the interesting thing is whenever you're doing a ridiculous move, if you're if you hit the dive button, if you're doing the crouch slide, if you're wall running, whatever, there are these red lines at the side of the screen. And that's telling you that you're in kind of like action mode. And whenever you're in that mode, which is something you can activate pretty often, like pretty much all the time, enemies cannot hit you at all. So if you dive into a room, doesn't matter how many of them are shooting at you, doesn't matter what they're shooting at you, they can't hit you. But as soon as you hit the ground and stop, you're vulnerable for a moment, and then you have to reactivate some other kind of like cool action move. And then on top of that, even though you can't reload, there's no health packs, and your bullet time doesn't refill either. Like if you use it, it's gone. Except every time you get a kill, it, re- it gives you back one of your health points and refills your bullet time. So the game is like, it's this like wild binary of like, you're constantly in danger, but then you just dive into a room and just start, like, you keep killing people and changing guns and killing people and changing guns this entire time to, like, keep going, basically. And, like, it's it's a really wild experience. <laughs> that that sounds not, not to, like, gen- overgeneralize, but that was the satisfaction loop of the Doom 2016 where if you play aggressively, you'll be rewarded for it. You always wanted to be moving. You always wanted to be attacking and um, mixing up different, you know, you'll, you'll drain your weapons real quick. So switch to something else or like break out the chainsaw and refill everything. Like, right. That sounds, that sounds really great. Like I'd love to play that whenever it's, I'm guessing it's going to be a handheld at some point. The handheld. Yeah. I think that's the interesting thing. Not only that doom 2016, like you said, not only did it bring back the retro FPS vibe, but the sort of the new mechanic, I guess of Doom 2016 is the idea of like enemies as resource providers right it's kind of almost a middle ground between the hyper aggression of the classic games and the sort of recharging resources mechanics of newer games in that like okay if you glory kill or chainsaw kill these little guys they pinata and give you all kinds of stuff so like okay I can't just kill all the little guys first I need to save some of them 
so I can recharge later. You know, like it's a different kind of management in the mind. And like, I think that's really brilliant. And Severed Steel plays in that space because there are some enemies that you like, you know, if you're diving through the air with a pistol, like you're like, I really need to get to a better weapon so that I can kill some of the heavy armored guys. But I, you know, I don't want to kill all the little guys right away because they're how I refill my bullet time and refill my health when I'm really under the gun. And like that, it's got that same kind of mental space, but because so much of it is happening, you know, I would say Doom 2016 is, you know, it's just constant guitar solo. Like it's frantic and aggressive kind of all the time. And Severed Steel has that same kind of vibe where you're just kind of always amped up, but you're whipping wildly between, oh my God, I'm going to die in like 2.5 seconds. (laughs) And I'm invincible bullet timing through the air, headshotting 17 people. Like it's... That that weird, you're never in the middle. You're never just like kind of tough. It's like you're either invincible or totally invincible. <laughs> and has a God, really good soundtrack and kind of a like neon voxel look to everything. It almost looks like, um, you know, like in any time there's a video game, you have like the generic danger room cyberspace. You know what I mean? It looks like that. But everything is usually like really dark and like trimmed in like really bright neon colors. And like when you kill an enemy, all the enemies are glowing all the time. And like when you kill them, they go blank and like pulse out color. It's a really like visually intense experience. And it's it's really good. It's really, wow. really good. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out whenever I can. Ion Fury is on Switch. That would definitely give you a, a classic feel. Just don't play it on the hardest difficulty setting because it's... Yeah, you're, it's you'd have to be a maniac to try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> coming from nowhere, coming from nothing, and just diving straight into that. Actually, to be honest, I these days kind of don't pick hard mode, even on games I like, maybe because time is so precious. Just in general, I don't think that would be an issue for me. Unless like normal is so easy peasy that it's, I guess, I would want a little bit of meat to it. But. Yeah, I, there's they have enough difficulty settings in that game that I think you could find one that find, skirts the line between completely invincible power fantasy and the fun to frustration ratio isn't good. I think the other element, though, is just like the you, you get a good sense for what those classic FPS games you know it's just like anything else like okay like undertale right like it's all in the kind of 8-bit 16-bit vibe and like that is its own kind of lovely there's a difference between like super high fidelity movie quality visuals and just having a game that looks good within the tools and palette that it's using and ion fury is a really good example of how good looking those old build games could be when done right and like the like the environments are really good the soundtrack's really good and it's it's fun it's good stuff it's it's definitely worth trying Heck, it's it's half off right now at the time of this recording. My goodness. But I think the classic Quake is on there, too. I highly recommend Quake. Quake is... Yeah, we, we actually got a little bit of that in uh, a couple weeks ago, because I found out that you... Oh, you did? Play. Yeah, I guess we didn't really talk about it. Yeah, we found out that you can play. Was it? It's like cross-platform thing was pretty easy to do. And so I was playing on the Switch... My wife was playing on PC, and we were just kind of just tearing it up, just running through it. We got to get back to it at some point, for sure. As it is, I think it's just a scheduling thing, because <laughs> that takes a bit of sort of winding up to get to that point. I did enjoy it. I mean, I'm a sucker for that low-poly look, too, and that, that seems that was, that's really nice. And it feels really smooth. Yeah. That, see, that's the thing that I think, if you didn't play Doom or Quake when they were new 
because you know it's funny to think about doom 2016 because like you know people were rebuilding their pcs and stuff to be able to play doom 2016 because it looked so good even the original doom like that's what people were trying to do because that game was so graphically intensive for its day and it's easy to look at games like doom and quake and just see the sort of visceral violence right yeah Mm-hmm. The, the dark gothic atmosphere and all the blood and the violence like clearly that's what people were there for right and like don't get me wrong at the time you know doom and mortal Kombat made me like completely reconfigure my tiny brain to be like oh my god violence you know but there's also like those games have incredibly smart level design really interesting enemy design great weapons just terrific control like it was interesting coming back to something like quake after playing a lot of modern shooters for so long because you're like oh my god back when we used to have like you just have full control over what you can do and how fast you want to go like you have control over what your character does unlike say a lot of games you know years of war right or cod where like it's not that you don't have control but like you are kind of limited in what you can do you know with bullet spray and spread and gun drop off and you know different terrain and environments like all that stuff is realistic but also like it is kind of nice when you play something like doom or quaking like oh my god i can just no i just have full control like when something happens it's because i wanted it to happen <laughs> or if if i miss it's because i didn't lead the shot right you know that kind you have of to really experience it to, to get a feel for it huh yeah i remind me i will link you some high level quake play it's like a fighting game and what you know just like with a fighting game or say like a MOBA or something where like watching high level players even if you totally don't if you don't totally get what they're doing it can be difficult but like you can still see like okay I'm seeing a high level of like skill application here and map knowledge and character knowledge and all that kind of stuff like it's still really impressive to watch the pros play do you know the the Quake 3 jumping mechanic thing I don't want to guess and get it wrong so okay so one of the things in Counter-Strike is if you have the knife out you move a little faster because it's like a lighter weapon right so like one of the funny things in counter-strike is that people will pull out a knife to move quicker and that seems kind of silly because you'd still have your guns on your back or whatever but like that's just one of those funny game things but quake has something sort of similar in that when you jump you're moving faster than when you're on the ground so bunny hopping helps you move faster than just walking like if you're just walking around in something like quake 3 like you're moving too slow you need to be jumping and on top of that something about i forget how the physics work it's something about if you're jumping and turning slightly in the air like if you jump and like turn your character slightly to the left or slightly to the right like you're not moving like you're still jumping forward but with a slight curve something about the way it works is that it the game calculates your speed as being higher so people have this it's this like it's, I would guess it's similar to something like wave dashing in Smash, where like a certain repeated jumping input that isn't intuitive to begin with, you realize is actually the best way to move around. Quake 3 has this kind of like a wave dashing type thing where you're like jumping and tilting constantly, and it's not enough to just sit there and smash the space bar. Like you want to, you learn that timing and that rhythm, and high level players can move at like incredibly high speeds. They just keep building up momentum and they can just fly across maps. It gets to where they memorize like like memorizing the timings for respawns like oh i just took red armor red armor is going to be up in 30 seconds and like are mentally clocking that and like map positions and stuff like watching them do it is really really impressive i guess i I really i guess i really just have to see it like i think i've heard of that i believe somebody was telling me about that a couple years ago but i i don't know if i looked at anything but i just couldn't it didn't register as i'll find you a good one yeah well we'll we'll, get, get get me give me some examples and we'll 
digest that better. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, it's like the the Evo, what the Evo two K four, right? You know, Jay Wong and uh, and Daigo, right? The parry moment in Third Strike, like everybody knows that moment in gaming. Even if you don't watch a lot of fighting games, right? Like you can just like, this is a hype moment. I can't believe this is happening, kind of thing. I'll find you some similar Quake videos. It will make you want to be a better Quake player, and then you will try and fail miserably because <laughs> there's nothing but Quake dads out there, and they they've all been playing for twenty years, twenty five years, and they're better than you. God. <laughs> yeah, so I've mostly mostly been on the retro FPSs here lately. It's nice to when you can go back to something and it turns out you still enjoy it. I don't know. Sometimes you go back a little too far, and maybe you don't want to. <laughs> it's not. That that is a concern, right? Like if something is either like way harder than you remember, or were you just playing this because it's what you had? And I think it was one of the Shinobi games. I don't remember which one it was exactly. I really liked it. I remember it was tough as a kid, but I, I tried to play it more recently, and I just I could not get past like the first level or second level or something. And I just I yeah, they're ruthless, man. <laughs> But on the subject of uh, difficult games, we've been talking about something for a minute that I feel like has a reputation. It's sort of referring to it as a shorthand for uh, games being difficult. And we talked already a bit about, like, I'm not going for the hard mode thing anymore. It's not really what I want. (laughs) But the challenge and the meatiness of it, there was something about it that's really satisfying. I would say maybe when I had more time, I played through it a few times as it got increasingly harder and harder every time you beat it. Not so much now, but I know that you've bounced off of it. The game in question, the Dark Souls, the Souls likes. (laughs) Yeah, I guess difficulty's a funny one because like, I don't know, maybe I hit it at a point in my life when I was not gaming as much. So I bounced off it for particularly that reason. I was like, I don't have time to learn this because I don't mind a hard game. You know, I recently, um, you know, you bring up Shinobi too. Recently, when I was writing, you know, I write for A&N, I got one of my reviews was doing the Ninja Gaiden trilogy. They finally released those, right? And revisiting that because that too, in the era before Dark Souls, right? Like the, the Ninja Gaiden games were always super tough, like the Shinobi games back in the day. Yeah, they had a reputation. Yeah, Ninja Gaiden was like that game to beat and the 2004 version the the reboot if you will also had a reputation of being pretty unforgiving and demanding a lot of skill and I you know getting back into it and playing it I still I you know I really haven't played since I was a much singular man uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know when I could just get off work and go home and play but at the same time I still realize like playing that again now you know just a couple months ago realizing hey I'm still pretty good at this it is a hard game but you know, learning the patterns and stuff. So maybe maybe I just caught Dark Souls at the wrong time in my life. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so when I got into it in the first place, I had heard that it was tough. I believed uh, my roommates prior to this were really into Demon Souls, and I was like, I don't know, it sounds like a pain in the butt. I don't really want to do that. Um, but just I was in the mood. I was in the mood for it. And so I fired up Dark Souls. You know, I'd heard it was tough, and so I was like, okay, well, let's learn it. Let's really just get, get our hands dirty here. And right after the opening area, like, because they, they throw you into this one area and then they sort of cut you loose, which I really like is because, you know, beyond some, like, setup stuff, there's not a whole much, a, a lot in the way of, like, cutscenes or, or the game just kind of happens around you. Maybe when a new boss shows up, it, they'll, they'll do that. I don't remember how the game led you to where you're supposed to be going when it first starts, but... I saw skeletons maybe shortly after you, you they kind of dump you out into the world. And I figured, okay, skeletons, that's like, that's a basic enemy, right? That's like the thing. 
a Castlevania, you'll see some skeletons right away. Something like that, right? And so I, I, I fought like one, and I was like, okay, this is kind of tricky. I'll, I'll, uh, then two show up, and you're dealing with two enemies at once. I'm like, okay, so this is like their, this is how they increase the challenge. <laughs> the freaking giant skeleton jumps out. And I'm like, I don't know how to deal with this. So I was just trying to kill skeletons for, and then I forget if it's these ones or I believe, actually, you know what? I think it was all of them. They don't die. Like they fall apart, but they'll get put back together. So it was, I, for whatever reason, was led down this path. I was told the game was hard. And so I was like, okay, well, I just got to get good at this game like actually just figure out how to beat them i feel like i had a handle and i was knocking them off the cliff i was figuring out how to like block and get the backstab and all that stuff and then a roommate comes home and he's like you don't okay the skeletons won't die unless you have like a holy weapon or a light weapon i was like oh i don't think i have that it's like no no you don't have one of those yet if you go around this way there's a bunch of zombies and those like undead soldiers those are what you where you should be going okay <laughs> and you know two hours of skeletons that were pretty brutal and i was you know getting better just by dying over and over to them because it's not really you can just you know you start over you get back to it the zombies were like nothing like <laughs> easy just after that trial i was already better than you know what i was two hours ago and so you know there's a little bit of like the game is expecting you to die and learn how to get through this area a couple of times so you know when a dragon breathes fire over an area you have to get the timing right to get through it and all this stuff but i was all in so you know dark souls one two three went back and got demon souls when it came out uh bloodborne i didn't play all the way through i need to i will fix that soon sekiro i adore like that game was so tough but like beating it was so satisfying and i think you know i kind of given up on like you said yeah you were kind of averse to this idea i forget exactly how i phrased it but like i said something like you know there's there's some lament around castlevania whenever they try to do a 3d one it kind of just falls short or it's just eh, it's like whatever it is but it occurred to me that dark souls has the satisfaction that you have in you know playing one of those 2d castlevania metroidvanias but in this 3d environment so really you if you're looking for that 3d metroidvania experience this is not this is very poorly phrased you you could find it in dark souls and something about that like seemed to strike a chord with you i don't do you remember do you kind of remember that conversation uh, i think it was because i had started playing hollow knight oh yes that's right i was vibing with it ironically i've i've put down hollow knight for the moment just because <laughs> like my beloved zoro uh i'm really bad at at directions and location yeah the map system is kind of tricky in that one i keep getting lost so <laughs> i guess the other thing too is the really limited color palette in that game not so much i mean i know that like as you go between different regions they change colors but like within a region i have no like i'm like oh i know i'm in you know the overgrown green area like clearly but i'm like where am i at in that green area i have no idea <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a sucker for like the like typical castlevania metroidvania map where they just show you here's the blinking dot where you are here's all the doors that you could possibly go through i don't mind them holding my hand through that just because i don't i'm not writing down maps like i used to <laughs> yeah like... you know I, I you know i revisited that too i played legend of grimrock a couple years back which is like an old school style first person rpg and i like broke out the graph paper that was fun like it was fun to do that again but i was like there's a reason i don't do this anymore <laughs> so that was my struggle but the, the difficulty of hollow knight i was fine with and the sort of the loop of, you know, you, you fight and you, you learn the enemy attack patterns and you get better, but then you die and have to go back and get your little shattered soul ghost. Like, I, that all is fine. And then you mentioned, well, that's basically Dark Souls. Like, it's basically a Souls-like, you know, so, and then happening upon the, oh, well, then 
that I think that's when you came to the epiphany of the, the Castlevania, Metroidvania comparison. So I am more inclined to try it now. Yeah, this isn't to like, I don't want to just watch you suffer. I want to, <laughs> you, you to be able to like take it. No, I mean, really though, I want to share things like my core for anything really is I want to share things with people that will enjoy them. Or if I feel like this is tuned to somebody, I want them to have that experience. There's something about recommending something and then somebody enjoying that that is that resonates that that's sad extra satisfying to me nowadays i don't really get hurt if they don't unless you know it's fine you don't like it but i think that it will be really interesting it could be really fun to you know with a little with a gentle hand smooth the experience out a little bit and then see if you and you know you still might not like it and that's fine um but at least with that because if you know if that roommate hadn't come home then maybe i'd just be really good at killing skeletons (laughs) The skeleton slayer. But I, I, you really couldn't kill. They just, you'd, they'd fall apart and then they'd come back together until you had a holy weapon. You were just screwed. And I was like, yeah, games are just hard. Like this game's really hard. Yeah, yeah. I was like that. I was like, this game's really hard. It's like, yeah, you don't need to do that to yourself. You turn left over here, and then everything kind of made sense. And then you know that that sort of discovery aspect and finding out what you like and how you like to move around. Because I, I guess typically what kind of weapon you prefer. So going back to Monster Hunter, you like. Well, I don't know if that really applies here, but I guess when it comes to melee weapons, what what do you like or what do you prefer? I tend to be a sword and board kind of guy. I mean, okay. So I guess I'll I'll say this: like I tend to. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did we did get to that, and it changed your experience drastically. <laughs> yeah, because man, the we we we're playing Monster Hunter. The, the the bow ammo management switching is. I wouldn't say it was mentally complex, but it was, like, not super intuitive how the buttons work. And, like, it had a really different, weird pace. I was like, man, I don't feel like I'm doing anything in this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does, it takes a bit of homework to get that right and knowing which ones to bring and all that other stuff. It's great when you get a handle on it. I showed, I sent you that video of these four dudes with heavy bow guns just obliterating a Valstrax. Like, they didn't, the thing got one attack in and they, it just, they got it down in like two minutes or some absurd thing. So that's, that's a high, <laughs> you know, that's a really high skill. So yeah, sword and board, real easy to go with. For me, what I, ended up liking was the really either really really careful or not careful at all and those were the two weapons i switched between <laughs> so it was um <laughs> spear and shield because you can poke through the shield and your defense doesn't drop at all so you don't take any damage and you can sort of you know poke your way or turtle your way to victory if you're careful enough or a great axe because swinging around a giant axe looks great it looks great if you jump off of something swinging the axe and it hits like a truck finding that out and feeling that out was was something that i think will be really interesting to i I guess like hear back from you or observe as you as you try it out well i guess that's the question that we need to ask is do we want to do like this is a question for off air if we want to do like a segment of like me playing through dark souls and uh, us together or just i play and report back for next time at the at the very least i would like to like we don't have to stream it necessarily but i feel like i should be watching like at least and maybe just recording our commentary and play little snippets of it like we do like yeah 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 i mean if 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 you could record it like a low low quality thing that we could comment over that could be useful maybe like an hour or two session 
that we that we just do okay plus it's fun to go back you know see what all that looks like absolutely that'd be fun we should definitely do that i guess we'll turn that around on me <laughs> we'll have to figure out something to either either uh, lock me down for two hours on or just i think this could be really fun like really like that's you know for the future to structure it like that because we kind of just went all over the place with this yeah one. we just talked about games we'll see if people like the random game talk yeah maybe we could just have room for that if that's how it ends up being but i feel like having a focused discussion or not really reviewing anything that's new but just something that you really like and you want to share that experience with i think that could be really fun absolutely so we'll figure out we'll figure out the logistics of that we're just feeling this stuff out i hope people liked this so far <laughs> lots really just everything got covered here what are we talking we talking about like what didn't we talk about tonight well yeah basically <laughs> covered nearly everything here We talked about every game. This is the only episode of Super Senpai's podcast, Super Turbo, because we've talked about every game. <laughs> That's it, folks. Thanks for showing up. <laughs> so homework for next time is for me to play a bit of Dark Souls. Yeah, somehow either, or not either, but we'll schedule some time so that we can have that session. And maybe we, we need to do some kind of homework thing, like next time have a discussion on like you know favorite bad game or maybe like worst mechanic in a great game or something you know some, some kind of discussion topic maybe to, to focus a little more since we were so all over the place this time yeah 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 no that's a good idea we'll pick something and then have a back and forth about it rather than soapboxing over <laughs> over our favorites next time we discuss weapon breaking and durability mechanics and whether or not they're good don't oh my god <laughs> oh god oh god <laughs> This is this is where this is where you are going with this. Sorry, I see. <laughs> the flashbacks, the horror. How do we want to do the sign out? Like, is either go home and be a family man. I think no. I think that should be it. You know, family man. We're making a reference, but I think we could do this and also be very inclusive. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Super Senpai Podcast Super Turbo Edition. Go home and be a family meal. Super, Super Senpai, Senpai Podcast. Podcast.